I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed according to this age, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. I say to you, through the grace of God given unto me, to every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly according as God hath dealt to every man the measure of faith. Dr. John G. Mitchell often asked a question that is still inscribed on the library wall on the campus of Multnomah University. Don't you folks ever read your Bibles? It is quite evident that he did. Dr. Mitchell once forgot his Bible in his office when he arrived to teach a graduate level class on the Minor Prophets. Without a pause, he quoted the scripture for the day word for word from memory. Dr. Mitchell knew his Bible. Many were blessed by his Bible teaching, and today we invite you to share in those blessings by listening to the Unchanging Word Bible Study. The name of our study, The Unchanging Word, highlights the fact that God's Word has not changed. What God reveals in His written Word was true in the past, is still true today, and will be true tomorrow. The truth in God's Word was, is, and always will be true. God never changes. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Life begins at Calvary, there my Savior died. He took my place and by His grace came with me to abide. All I need for living is mine by just believing. Life begins at Calvary, life that never ends. The Unchanging Word Bible Study continues in Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. In chapter 12 begins the Apostle Paul's appeal to the believer in Christ for dedicated Christian living. Dr. Mitchell points out that this is an appeal, not a command, and he appeals to the believer on the basis of the mercies of God which were displayed in the finished work of the person of our Lord Jesus Christ and explained in the previous 11 chapters. In these two verses, the appeal is made to present our bodies a living sacrifice. And as one has said in times past, the problem with the living sacrifice is that it tends to want to crawl off of the altar. Well, indeed, it is a sacrifice acceptable to God. It is reasonable. It is a spiritual service of worship, and it is based on the many mercies of God already shown to us. So turn with us. In your Bible, to Romans chapter 12, verse 1, here is Dr. Mitchell. Thank you. Good day, friends. We come again for a time of fellowshipping together in the Word of God. Isn't it wonderful that you and I can sit down and think about some of the most marvelous things in God's universe, to think that we have a God who is not only sovereign and supreme, but He's full of grace and truth. And as we have in our past lessons been dealing with the depth of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out, and how true it is as you take these first 11 chapters of the book of Romans and begin to realize 
first of all, the object of truth which is given to us, of how man was fit for hell, given over to uncleanness, to vile affections, to a reprobate mind, and by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ have not only had our sins forgiven and delivered from death and delivered from the powers of hell, but to be able to stand in the presence of God in all the righteousness and beauty of Christ. And then to know in chapters 5, 6, and 7 that through the death of our Savior, uh, we have been delivered. The relationship between us and the old Adamic race under judgment has been severed once for all. And death has no more dominion over a believer. Then in chapter 6, we've, the death of Christ has severed the relationship to sin as a master in our lives. Then in chapter 7, we've been delivered from the law and its bondage. And when we came to chapter 8, we went to the heights of the wonder of it all, that we're going to stand in the presence of God and no created intelligence in the universe can produce any evidence of our sinfulness, any evidence of our transgressions. Indeed, we stand before God in all the righteousness of Christ. So the question is raised, who can lay anything to the charge of God's elect? When God is pronounced as righteous, what can man say? What can demons say? What can angels say? When God has pronounced us righteous. And then you know that there's nothing in all the universe can separate the believer from the love of God in Christ Jesus. And then to know that God was righteous in his dealings with Israel. In chapter 9, he chose them to be his witnesses to the nations of the earth. And because of their works and egotism and self-righteousness, you remember they were cast off because of their disobedience. And in chapter 10, he talked about a personal salvation and a universal salvation for either Jew or Gentile, individuals. In chapter 11, he picked up the nation again, and he's going to restore the nation, and he's going to deal with the Gentile nations. And then we found out that God's whole purpose and program is going to be completed and consummated. There's nothing in all God's universe is going to change or contort the purpose of God, what he's going to do down through the ages. And we are living in just in a place called time, a brief, brief breath of time in eternity. And yet he's working out a tremendous, wonderful program for the display of his grace and the manifestation of his mercy and to make you and me the objects of his love and affection. Now, what would you do when you think of such things? So we come to chapter 12. And here we have the appeal of the grace of God in our relationship to God himself. Now, from chapter 12 of Romans to through the end of the book, through chapter 16, we have the walk of the believer or the righteousness of God displayed in his people. And we follow it through, for example, if I may just give you a rundown on it, we, we see our responsibility to God, uh, to each other in the church of Christ, to society, uh, to the powers that be, to governments, to the weaker brethren, and so on down to these, book, these chapters. It's going to be a wonderful thing to realize now. Now he begins to appeal. All that we have had from chapter 1 right through chapter 11, we have had, for the most part, what God has done for us. Now, starting in a chapter 12, as Christians, as the children of God, 
what we can do to glorify God here on earth. Now he begins to appeal to our wills, to those of us who love the Savior. He's given to us the capacity by the Spirit of God to glorify him among men. Think of it, dear Christian friend. He wants you and me to be the channels to express to the world something of his love, of his grace, of his compassion, of his tenderness to men. God still loves men and women. Remember that. God still loves them. And how is he going to display himself except through you and through me? And what shall our response be? Now let me read then verses 1 and 2 of chapter 12. I read, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable, logical service. And be not conformed, do not be fashioned according to this age, but be transformed, be transfigured by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Now here you have the beseechings of grace. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God. It's not like the law demanding you to do something. You remember the law demanded, but this is the entreaty of grace, not to receive something, but because we are his children, let us give ourselves to him. Because we are his children, let us be obedient to his word. It's not a command. He doesn't command you, but it's a plea for personal dedication to God. The, the word here is parakaleo, which means an entreaty. The grace of God is entreating us, the beseechings of grace. You remember in Ephesians 4.1, the apostle Paul, I, the prisoner of Jesus Christ for you Gentiles, beseech you that you walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you're called not to receive something, but to show forth something of the wonderful, wonderful grace of God. Likewise, in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, the first verse, when Paul says, I beseech you by the gentleness and the meekness of Christ. And the ground for such a dedication is the mercies of God, the compassion of God. And I needn't go through these first eight chapters again, but may, as we think of it, May we experience what Paul said when he said, if we be beside ourselves, it's to God. If we're sober, it's for your cause, for the love of Christ overmasters me. Not my love for Christ, but his love for me. You know, I think, I think sometimes that we, we who have been on the way for many, many years have lost that fervency, that freshness, that sweetness of love for the Savior. How about you, my friend? I'm not questioning your faith in the Savior. I'm not questioning your salvation or your standing before God. All I ask is, how much do you love him? How much do you love him? Now you're willing, is your love big enough so that you would say, Lord, I'm going to dedicate myself to you. I'm going to give myself over to you. All that I am and all that I have, when I think of your mercy, you've been rich in mercy toward us. You've been rich in grace toward us. 
My, when I think of how good God has been to you and to me, there's only one thing we can do. What's that? Obey this verse. Let it get a hold of you. I beseech you. I beseech you by the mercies of God. Not by anything else, just by the mercies and compassions of God to give your body, present your body a living sacrifice. That's all he asks. He wants our whole being to be a a living sacrifice, to present, to yield. You remember we had this in Romans 6.13. Before we were saved, we yielded our members, our bodies unto sin. We yielded to the lusts of the flesh and of the mind. Now he said, yield those very same things to God. Why? To be saved? No. To get something? No. Just because we love him. Just because we love him. And it's a voluntary thing. Notice what he says. To present your bodies a living sacrifice. Not a dead sacrifice. A living sacrifice. Somebody says, well, I'll die for Christ. Yes? He didn't ask you to do that, did he? He did in the first century, possibly, when the martyrs, when the Christians were martyred for their love for the Savior. No, my friend, the challenge is to live for him in the midst of a world that has no place for him. In the midst of people, friends, neighbors, relatives, who scorn you because you love the Savior. Don't be surprised at that. Don't be surprised at that. Jesus said in John chapter 15, if they love me, they'd love you. If they hate me, they'll hate you. In 1 John chapter 3, we are now the children of God. Therefore, the world doesn't know us. Why? It didn't know him. And if the, if the world didn't know the Savior, don't be surprised if the world doesn't know you. And all he asks of you and me is to be a living sacrifice. He'll do the rest. All he wants is you. All he wants is me. And he wants me to present my body as a living sacrifice. It's a voluntary thing. Why not? Why not yield our bodies to him? You remember in 1 Corinthians 6, 19 to 20, don't you know that your body, says Paul, is the temple of the Holy Spirit which you have of God, and you're not your own, but you're bought with a price? Therefore glorify God in your bodies and in your spirits which are his. Can't we trust the one who died for us? Can't we trust him with our bodies? Huh? Kind of hard, isn't it? You know, one time I was speaking on Romans chapter 1, the first verse, where Paul said he was a bond slave of Jesus Christ. And a bond slave, you remember, was one who had no possessions of his own, no will of his own, no time of his own, so on. He was given over, possessed entirely by his master. Would you and I be willing to put our lives and all that we are in the hands of our wonderful Savior? Friend, if the Lord Jesus has done so much for us, loved us enough to die for us, can't we give ourselves to him? You see, our love for the Savior is evidenced by this very thing. 
to give our bodies a complete sacrifice to him. Just as we are. Just as we are. You remember that passage which I've quoted so often on this radio station. Uh, the, the passage in Thessalonians chapter 5, 23 and 24. Now the God of peace sanctify you holy, and I pray God your whole spirit, soul, body, the whole thing belongs to him. All he asks, will you turn it over to him? And he's fitted us for this. You remember the Lord said to the Levites, these are mine. They were not numbered among the tribes of Israel because they're mine. You say, well, Mr. Mercer, it's going to cost me something. Yes, it's going to be a sacrifice. That's what it says here. It's a living, holy sacrifice. You know, whenever I think of this verse, I think of a man by the name of John Alexander Clark. He was knighted by the Belgian government. Mr. Clark was in Portland quite a few years ago, and I'll never forget him because, to my mind, he was one of the outstanding missionaries that I've ever met in my life. He had spent his lifetime in the Congo, in Africa. And in those days when he went out to Africa, he would get off at the coast, get off the ship at the coast, and he would hike in. He would employ a number of these, of these Negro men and women, and they would carry his goods and they would eat by the fireside at night and so forth and so on. And he was, he was telling us of how he learned words as he went along. And then after many, many years of being in Africa, he, he said that he was sitting in front of his crawl or his hut one day when he heard the screaming of a woman down in the village. And he ran down into the village and came into this crawl where a dear woman was had reached over with her pipe to get her to light her pipe at the fire. And for some reason, she, she fell into the fire. And to protect her face, she put her arm in front of her face. And of course, the arm was very severely burned. And Mr. Clark uh, put some medicine upon her arm, bandaged it up, took care of her, and so on. And then for quite a number of weeks, he would go daily over to this hut and he would take this woman's arm and massage it and work on it and so forth until it became usable. And weeks went by, months went by, and came fall. And he was sitting in front of his hut one day when a woman came down from the village with a very, very large basket full of corn on top of her head. And she came right, right to him and put the big basket down with the corn and said to him, This is your corn. He said, oh, no, it isn't. It's not my corn. Uh, I didn't, uh, I'll buy it from you, though. No, 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 I can't sell this corn. It's your corn. No, he said, it's not my corn, but I'd be very happy to buy it from you. No, she said, you don't understand. This corn is your corn. This arm is your arm. You're the one who saved this arm. It's your arm. This arm prepared the ground. This your arm put the seed in, cultivated the soil, gathered in the harvest. This arm is your arm. This corn is your corn. I've never forgotten that, and that's about 40 years ago. You know, some things really stick. 
I never forgot that because Jesus Christ gave himself for us, all to us. Can we not give ourselves to him? So we become his arm. He redeemed us from the fire. He bought us with his own precious blood. He sacrificed to save you and me. And the least I can do, the least you can do, is to offer yourself as a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God. It's a very practical thing. It's a very logical thing. It's our logical, logical service. Have you done that, my friend? Why not? For out of this spiritual worship comes our service. The more I yield myself to him and let him have his way in my life, the more you let him have his way in your life, the one who loved you and died for you, the one who brought you right into the very presence of God, the one who covered you with all his righteousness and beauty. I say, is the Lord asking too much of us that we should just give ourselves wholly acceptable unto him a living sacrifice it's the only logical thing we can do. And then the demand of it. Be not fashioned according to this age, but be transfigured by the renewing of your mind. You might prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Now, here's the negative thing. Do not be fashioned according to this age. You remember Galatians 6.14 says, God forbid that I should glory, save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world is crucified to me, and I to the world. Or Galatians 1, 4 says, He gave himself for our saints, that he might deliver us from this present evil age. And this age is a selfish age. Instead of love, instead of compassion, it's selfish. It pleases self instead of God. It is dominated by Satan, not by Christ. Don't forget that. And to conform to this age and system is to manifest, and I say it very frankly, we manifest unfaithfulness to the one who died to redeem us from this present evil age. Then he makes a positive statement. Be transfigured. Not to be fashioned according to this age, but to be Transfigured by what? By the renewing of our minds. You see, transfiguration is from the inside. Transformation is on the outside. Like you have it, for example, in 2 Corinthians 3.18. We all with open face, beholding as in a glass the glory of the Lord, we are being changed from glory to glory, even as by the Spirit of the Lord. Oh, li Listen. Let me ask you a question, friend. To you Christian friends, I don't care who you are or what you are, but if you love the Savior, don't you believe it's the least thing you and I can do is to give our bodies over to him to be a living sacrifice, not to be fashioned according to this age, but to be transfigured by the renewing of your mind. Then you prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. I would beseech you by the grace of God to put yourself, all that you are and have, 
in the hands of your wonderful Savior. And then through you, the Spirit of God will reveal something of the loveliness and beauty of Christ Jesus, your Lord. May God grant this today for his name's sake. that day when my faith shall be Thank you for listening to the Unchanging Word Bible Study today. And so until next time, this is the Unchanging Word Bible Broadcast. Life begins at Calvary.